It's common to hear that the world has never been more interconnected, but at the same time, it's never been easier to share differences of opinion and spread misinformation and hate speech that divides and causes fear and mistrust. But in this increasingly complicated, fractured world, there's an age-old method of building trust between opposing societies, communities and people. It's called talking. Okay, so to use a more technical term, intercultural dialogue. It's been described as an antidote to rejection and violence. But can it really make a difference in a world where toxic language and conflict are the things that make headlines, generate clicks, and so it often seems win votes? Welcome to the United Nations Uniting Against Hate podcast, where we share the stories of those who've encountered hate speech and talk to the activists and experts about how they're working to counter it. Well, to find out more about intercultural dialogue, Connor Lennon spoke to Karobo Mokonyana, who's an award-winning activist and lawyer from South Africa, and Gabriela Ramos, the Assistant Director General for the Social and Human Sciences at UNESCO. That's the UN Agency for Education, Science and Culture. Now, uh, first of all, I I called, I was a little bit reductive. I called it intercultural dialogue, essentially talking. Uh, maybe, Gabriella, you can give us a bit more meat to that, to how you would describe intercultural dialogue. Well, I, I actually agree with you. Uh, the fact is that we are in a paradox where the world is much more interconnected, but the reality is that we are less inclined to listen to others that look different than us. And therefore, we need to talk. And actually, we just launched a publication and a framework, and we put exactly that corner as a title. We need to talk. And I would say it's not only need to talk, but we need to listen. We need to listen to other cultures. We need to be open to what they need to offer. And in a conflictual world in which we live, these, connect, these connections, this talking, uh, we are seeing that some leaders don't want to talk to each other. And, and for all the divergence and the, and the opposition that they might have, if we stop talking, we then break the possibility to reach agreements and to make the right decisions. So I feel this is exactly the way we need to, we need to define it. Of course, it's not only that, because you have a methodology, and that's what we do at UNESCO. You, you prepare the evidence, you develop the framework, you see what are the drivers of successful intercultural dialogue. But at the end, the very basic is that we do not stop talking. And, and talking in a way that we're exchanging ideas as well. I mean, I'm, as you talk, I'm thinking of Twitter, which is sometimes described as the global uh, public space. But very often people are just talking at each other and trying to score points. And it's a zero sum game. I'm right. You're wrong. So um, and, and, you know, Twitter is is quite popular. Uh, do you think, as I was trying to suggest in the introduction, that a more, you know, an approach where we're trying to share opinions and come to some kind of understanding, is that really going to be as popular as just a, a space where we can shout at each other? Well, the fact is that you cannot just uh, use one mean. I mean, the Twitter and all these uh, social networks, the problem is that they are um, exacerbating our differences instead of bringing us together. But what we what we see is that we need to have a, a, a set of um, drivers for intercultural dialogue that starts with education, that starts for questioning the kind of media communication that we have in the current world that seems to also want to impose a view of the world when there is such diversity 
It deals with local governance, with cultures and arts, with political negotiations. And let me tell you, just for our our audience to understand what to what what the, uh, how complex is to is to build this understanding. The areas in our framework on intercultural dialogue that we are uh, putting at the table to look and how they contribute to this kind of uh, uh, bringing cultures and societies together includes the freedom of expression. If you don't express yourself, how can somebody listen to you or understand you? It includes governance and citizenship. Uh, includes equality, social cohesion, stability and nonviolence, inclusion and representation, leadership and organization, linkages and coherence, and skills and values. All of these could be seen from the perspective of countries that want to advance in their development ladder, because all of these elements contribute to advancing development. But the reality is that these are very important elements of having peaceful societies, of avoiding conflict, of having the means to channel divergence, to channel differences. And this is exactly when these channels to channel these differences are broken then you get into conflict, you get into instability, you get into many other uh, very, uh, uh, the very same problems that you are, we are having today with war and with other expressions that we are actually trying to avoid through intercultural dialogue. Well, uh, let's talk about South Africa because uh, you, you mentioned diversity. South Africa is incredibly diverse, sometimes called the Rainbow Nation, Carabo. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the successes that you've seen in South Africa and also the challenges of all these different cultures living together, coexisting peacefully. Yeah, so I think that, um, so firstly, when it comes to intercultural dialogues in the context of South Africa, uh, it, I, it was such a valuable and big thing, and I guess it speaks to the talking thing. And intercultural dialogues not only speaks to that aspect of talking, but with a heightened level of acknowledgement of difference. And in South Africa, the apartheid was highly premised on difference in identity. And what actually got us past that was conversation, was negotiations, was us coming together despite our differences, whether it's in narratives and identity, um, and actually deciding that we want to kind of move past this conflict. And in order to do that, we really had to just bring ourselves to talk. Um, but at the same time, I think the most valuable thing about intercultural dialogues is the difference aspect. You know, it, it, it brings this thing of, I see you, I hear you, and with with our differences, I want to or I'm willing to coexist with you, which I think is such a powerful thing because the reality is where there's diversity, there's difference in narratives and opinion. And we need to find a way to, you know, come to the middle ground. And in the context of South Africa, um, having intercultural dialogues has actually really helped. Can you give me some more specific examples of where it's helped in, in, the, in the context of this new world now where it's so much easier to spread misinformation and to spread speech and content that can drive communities against each other? 
Okay, so I will speak more around, um, I guess, the governance of the country. I mean, the country was highly governed, um, you know, by one group in society. And as a result of the negotiations, then we went into a democracy. So our democracy came about as a result of intercultural dialogues. And that speaks to how powerful, you know, this tool is in resolving some of the, you know, the most pressing um, and fragile issues that we can see, particularly in the context of peace and security. And would you include those truth and reconciliation uh, sessions that happened after apartheid? Are they, are they a good example, do you think, of the kind of dialogue you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. They are um, an example of the intercultural dialogues and actually, you know, having different people from diverse backgrounds coming together and speaking on an issue, a critical issue that is, and an issue that highly divided the country. This is the United Nations Uniting Against Hate podcast. I'm Katie Dartford, and you're listening to a conversation between award-winning activist and lawyer from South Africa, Karobo Mokonyana, and Gabriela Ramos, the Assistant Director General for the Social and Human Sciences at UNESCO. They spoke to this episode's presenter, Connor Lennon, about intercultural dialogue. Now, uh, Gabriella, is is this uh, something when we talk about intercultural dialogue, are we talking at the community level or can it also be applied to uh, country against country, region against region as well? Well, it, it's very interesting because the methodology can be the same in terms of uh, looking at how interactions between different people and, and bringing uh, elements that can um, shed their differences uh, will work also at the regional and the global level. But the, but the framework for uh, enabling intercultural dialogue that we just released is looking at the systemic part of it. How do we, as governments, as policymakers, can create enabling environments that can deliver uh, these uh, spaces where people can solve their differences through uh, means of, of, of peaceful uh, areas. And actually, it was very interesting because we, we work with, uh, with Oman, we work with, with Ghana, with Finland, New Zealand, Jamaica, uh, to, to see how much the framework that I mentioned and the, and the elements that I mentioned in terms of, uh, of advancing uh, solutions for the divisions that we see and, and the reality is that it, is that it worked together. And, and one of the conclusions that we that we extract at the systemic level, which was very interested, interesting, is that uh, peaceful societies or societies that are able to to advance this more peaceful and respectful dialogue are not always the more advanced. Uh, yes, economic development uh, helps because then you have the rule of law and then you have institutions that help channel divergence in a, in a civilized way. But it's not only that. It has to do with the willingness, with the with the leadership, with the understanding that that intercultural dialogue can deliver can deliver for good, and and therefore we we are trying to advance more um, systemic uh, application of this, uh, catalyzing actions and 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 addressing the root causes of the structural drivers of violence and conflict. We need evidence, of course. This is a, a human endeavor. But at the end, you need the facts, you need the evidence to, to really understand how these things work. You need to mobilize a diverse range of actors. Uh, but more than anything, I, I feel that intercultural dialogue allows you to change mindsets because the narratives that we have in the media, in the emergence of a lot of populist governments, is, is divisive. 
is the me against you. Is the my strength is your weakness. Your weakness is my strength. Uh, these kind of narratives are producing fear, uh, are producing abuses. Also, we, we have, for example, the, the, the recommendation on the ethics of artificial intelligence. We are worried that many times these technologies that should bring us together are dividing us because they abuse the, the fears that we have or the mindset or the the migrants are the ones to blame of all the problems that we face instead of trying to really understand who is the other what did the, does he brings how can i understand and and build the the the, the pathways for 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 much peaceful uh, addressing of our challenges the kind of uh, examples that karabu um, mentioned we also have them if you have, for example, uh, ethnically mixed classrooms, uh, that works. Uh, this, we saw it in Bosnia and, and Herzegovina. If you bring together in Colombia, the FARC that made this very impressive uh, experiment of, of using football to bring uh, opposite groups together. We have, of course, we are the institution that is dealing with culture and arts. We have the Art Lab for Social Justice. You use music, dancing, because what we're trying to do is to bring the most uh, precious elements of our humanity together to recognize us as humans instead of essentializing the other by something else. Let's just go back to the Bosnia example. That's a very interesting one, I think, for you know a, a country which which went through a horrific war and is very divided in its communities. How hard was it to to make that happen? To have uh, schoolrooms where there's more than one community represented? It, it's not easy because you need to get rid of these uh, narratives, as I said, this stereotyping, this essentialization of the other. As 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 a, as the source of all your problems, all of all your conflicts, and this is also has to do with the way we we teach our, our children to see differently, and the identity formation that sometimes, of course, is good because it's a glue that bring bring us together. But to the extreme, it then goes against the others. I I think it really worked. It was in the in the town of uh, Yashse, I think, uh, and and the reality is that you bring these kids together and they see other kids. And what do they do? They play. They, they're just kids. And if you let them alone, they will do what kids do. And and, and it was impressive because in, in 2016, when, when the regional assembly attempted to get rid of these ethnically mixed classrooms, the students protested because they already had, had built this, this link with the others. And they have shown that no, it's source of a problem. It's just another human being with a different background, with a different story, with a different culture, but that I cannot relate to it. And, and I feel that the more we expose ourselves to the others and to the others' needs and to the others' uh, aspirations and dreams, and the more we can connect better as humans. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful, a wonderful initiative. And do you think this is something that is possible to move forward or is there just too much pushback from politicians? I I I I have to say, uh, Connor, that that the world is not where we want it to be. Uh, I have to say that uh, that more and more uh, we have politicians that are building their their political power in division, dividing even inside the nations. We see that divisions, but I feel that there are many champions, and I'm I'm really encouraged, and I know that there are more nice stories to tell than the ones that get reported. And that's why it's so important what you're doing here because these stories need to be told. They exist, they were successful. Why don't we just 
take them and, and try to reproduce them everywhere. And that's what we're trying to do with our program on intercultural dialogue. Show the evidence, show the best practices, and then inspire others to use these, uh, these initiatives to reproduce in their own context. Carabo, I, I saw you nodding there, and I was just wondering if this, well, sometimes we talk about an age of populism uh, that we're in now. I mean, it's always existed in, in parts of the world, but um, with the online tools that there are to, to, to spread those kind of messages, do you, is it making your work more difficult or is it, has it always been difficult? I think it's not. I think it's actually, from a reach perspective, I think it's incredible. Um, and as a young person, I and getting into the sort of space, you know, I think those sort of uh, platforms have just enabled reach and the aspect of globalization. But that is not to say that there are harmful aspects of it. And I think one needs to get into, I mean, use those sort of tools with that in mind. But I, I see more of the value that it has actually had from a reach perspective, from a knowledge sharing perspective, to even mobilize more people to, you know, to get into these conversations that, um, um, we would ordinarily not even have because some of it is at community level. Some requires us to get into very remote communities, but this has really enabled reach and it has enabled inclusion in a way that um, has kind of never been seen before as a result of these platforms and the technology. Yeah, I mean, people like me, uh, commentators and journalists, are often often um, worry about the effect that, that these platforms are having and see the kind of things that, that you know, extreme things that make the headlines. But uh, I, I just have a suspicion that people, in fact, have a, take these things with a grain of salt in the real world and that it's, in fact, they are more open to uh, exchange of ideas. What do you think? Am I being too optimistic or is that what you're seeing, Carabo? That's exactly what I'm seeing. Um, I think that the definitely more openness. I, I, I mean, it's, it's the other stuff is going to be there. And I think it's important then how we um, almost like how we then sensitize people around these sort of conversations. And that is so important. However, that is even though it's almost like one rotten potato spoils the whole bag, I think we need to then be able to kind of differentiate the value that the rest of the bag actually has. And I think from my side, I, what has been more exciting is kind of seeing marginalized groups become a part of intercultural dialogues, particularly on these sort of platforms, because a lot of the times you find these sort of um, people not necessarily at very high level meetings or occupying very um, high positions. However, this is almost like the best way for us to actually engage in these sort of conversations without being, you know, in official positions. And that's the kind of value we want to see. We want to see different voices, especially marginalized voices, be a part of intercultural dialogues. And these platforms have enabled that. And are there any particular community disputes or issues in South African society that you're going to be concentrating on over the next few months? And years. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot. I think uh, corruption happens to be one of the things that uh, we actually, as a country, are trying to, you know, to, to focus on uh, because I think it hampers, you know, social and economic progress generally. And that is something that I think for the first time um, I'm seeing, it's almost like a common issue, but also the power cuts, you know, the power cuts is another one, but the root of it all is definitely the corruption aspect. And what's been so great is the 
intercultural dialogues that have happened around this issue and how there's almost like unity around not wanting to see corruption. And I believe that intercultural dialogues will play a part in these sort of in this specific issue. And Gabriella, from your point of view, from the UN point of view, uh, are there, I mean, like the, the lovely Bosnian project that you mentioned, are there any any uh, particular areas, countries that you're going to be concentrating on that you're focusing your energies on? No, well, the, the fact is that we work with all of our members and uh, whenever they call us, uh, the, the, there we go. Uh, for example, now we are deploying the, the art lab that I told you, which is to bring music and artivists, we call them, uh, to the refugee camps in Poland. Uh, but we have also br brought this conversation to uh, communities in, in Africa or Latin America that have been divided. But but the whole point, I feel, is that uh, these, these um, experiences, local experiences, are, are really good in terms of demonstrating how much people can change. And we actually are also working with the whole UN system to bring the methodology to, to, to enable uh, for, for the conversations to, to happen. But the reality is that we need to do it also at a systemic level. And this, I come back again to the, to the need to, to embed in our uh, leaders, in our ministers, the notion that, that using these tools might deliver better outcomes wherever they work, because it's not only about the question of uh, forging peace among uh, groups that are fighting, but it's also understanding that, that listening to others might bring better decision-making in all the fields, in, in, in the economy, in the financing, in the I mean, there are very in, in impressive uh, figures that we have in terms of countries in this report that I'm telling you on the we need to talk countries that have uh, intercultural dialogue deliver better on 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 uh, poverty, deliver better on gender equality. And then when you think and why gender equality might help? Well, because probably these are societies that are more open, that are more respectful that are more caring about the human rights. And therefore, for us, the, the intercultural dialogue is a mean to try to bring forward this other consciousness uh, in terms of respect, in terms of, uh, of uh, listening to the other. And, and coming back to what you were saying and also regarding the, the social networks, I'm, I'm glad to hear that she's positive. I'm very worried about the social networks. I'm very worried about the Twitters. I'm, I'm very worried because these are highly, highly concentrated technologies that are being developed by only five countries around the world that are developed by a male or white male only team, nothing wrong with my white male, uh, Connor. Uh, but the fact is that this is a very small group of with, with only one mindset, one way of looking at the world. And the world is diverse. So the more we can bring the very different views and don't feel that they are alien, but allow us to have this capacity to, to listen to others that are speaking completely different to us. And as you said, not to have always the answers, no, but to listen and to and to build a better, a better framework. I think that that's important. And we will continue working with the with the countries that uh, that uh, I mentioned, but with with all the others that are really looking forward to know more about these methodologies. Well, it was a real pleasure to listen to both of you, that's for sure. And uh, I wish you all the best with your work, Gabriella, at uh, UNESCO level and Carabo in South Africa. Thank you so much for being with me today. 
That was Connor Lennon speaking to award-winning activist and lawyer from South Africa, Marobo Mokonyana, and Gabriela Ramos, the Assistant Director General for the Social and Human Sciences at UNESCO. So for now, goodbye, and I hope you'll join us again soon for another edition of the Uniting Against Hate podcast from the United Nations.